You are now listening to The Open Canvas. It's a beautiful day in Brooklyn, New York. Beautiful, beautiful day. I'm Taj Alexander. You're listening to The Open Canvas. Uh, I'm really happy to be doing this because just from the conversation we just had outside, you know, walking over here to, to do this episode, you know, we were just talking about a lot of things, but I just feel like, you know, people with the right intentions and the right energy just naturally connect. And I feel like you're a very intentional person um, and it shows, you know, I, I hear it in your music already, but just by being able to have a short conversation with you, I can see it, it comes from an uh, intentional spirit. It's not just like making music um, to sound or fit, you know, a certain, a certain uh, category. It's like, this is your life. Mm -hmm. um, so I appreciate you, you know, welcome me into your story um, and just to be able to talk and, you know, just kick it. So awesome. Thank <laughs> without, you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, without any further ado, please introduce yourself. Hi, uh, I'm Tangina Stone. Um, I'm a singer, songwriter, producer, engineer, um, multi-instrumentalist, <laughs> uh, activist, womanist, mm. <laughs> all those things. Mm. Um, yeah. Oh, well, thank you for being on the open canvas. Yeah, thank you for having me. Absolutely. So, yeah, I think, you know, I think we can just really continue the conversation we were having. Mm -hmm. You know, I feel like, you know, but first, for those who don't know, I just want them to get to know a little bit about you. Yeah. Um, you know, first, where are you from? I'm from Ohio, from Canton, okay. Ohio, originally. Okay. I live in Brooklyn. Been yeah. here for a long time now. Yeah. So paint the picture of Canton, Ohio, because I feel like for those from New York who may not be familiar, <laughs> you know, yeah. let us know. Um, I mean, the Midwest in general is a really interesting place, the middle of yeah. everything. Um, I'm from Canton, and Canton is a small town, a small city right outside of Cleveland, Ohio. Maybe like 180,000 people, our population. Um, it's a small, little, dangerous city. Mm. That's It's weird to describe it that way now because it wasn't always that way growing up. Mm. Um, once upon a time, we were called like Little Chicago and like very reminiscent of Chicago just a smaller version of the city um yeah. but growing up in in Canton I watched everything you know that I knew and that I loved about my city change um lots of gang violence you know lots of drugs lots of things like that and so it was a really hard city to live in and to leave mm. a lot of people most people what I do that I know don't leave don't mm. leave our town mm -hmm. um it's actually I think now like the number one most dangerous small city in America mm. um and people wouldn't know that. People wouldn't know that. From you just saying Canton, Ohio. Yeah. You know, it's like you'd have to go there and actually experience it and live there. Yeah, to know. To know what it's actually the experience is. Exactly. Yeah. And um, I mean, also Canton, Ohio is famous because of the Football Hall of Fame. Right, so it's actually right, where right. football was born, where the, the sport was invented. Mm -hmm. And so we have the NFL Football Hall of Fame in Canton, Ohio. So a lot of people know it because of that. Yeah. So every year when all the players get inducted into the Hall of Fame, they come to our city and wow. it happens there. Um, and there's like a big festival and people come. <laughs> so that's the main thing that people know That's us the main for. attraction. The main attraction. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But for yourself, like, how was it for you growing up? Like, you know, were you, you know, an only child or were you, did you have like brothers, sisters or cousins that you hung out with growing up? Yeah, I had, um, I have a little brother and a little sister and I have a whole group of cousins, um, like seven of them that are, I grew up with like siblings. Um, and I'm the second oldest of all of the cousins. Mm. Um, and I took care of everybody. Yeah, I took care of everyone, looked out for everyone. Um, 
So you were basically I, like another parent, basically. Yeah, yeah. For my little cousins <laughs> and my brother and my sister will tell you the same thing. I was everybody's. My mom sometimes even jokes around and says, you were even my mom. Yeah, yeah. No, I <laughs> she can, was a young I parent. I feel you on that. I feel mm-hmm. you on that. Yeah. She was a young parent. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I took care of everyone. And I was always just, you know, I was always really smart and, and driven and obsessed with being successful, even as mm-hmm. a child. Always been obsessed with the idea of moving to New York to pursue music. And so when I was in high school, I worked really, really hard to graduate the top of my class to get scholarships and stuff to come here for school school was always just like the guys and like music was the goal you know to be here and to i'm gonna go up there and i'm gonna blow up that was always the plan um not knowing it takes a lot more than just like an idea in your head to make that happen yeah it takes a lot of work and in new york i mean you have to really pay your dues um still paying them some i feel like i've I've already paid and they need to get off my back (laughs) but like but there's a lot of dues you have to pay you know to to attain the level of success that for me personally that i want like i don't want i don't want a a one and done career i don't Mm. want a fast career i want a legacy and that's what i'm building so i have to always remind myself of that i want a legacy Mm. um I want to be remembered long after I'm gone. You know, yeah. I want my great great grandchildren to be able to to hear my music and the art that I contribute to the world and and all the the ways that I worked really hard in activism to to change the world. Um, I want those things to last, yeah. and so that's what it's about for me. Right. Um, growing up in Canton, one thing that I always, you know, I was always looking for. I was always looking for mentors. Um, mm. And I had a few and I always connected with them because of school. You know, I was in school and like high school teachers, you know, who took me on like like a mentee Mm. um, and taught me so much about art and poetry and music. Um, And even, you know, I used to go to church and I have uh, there's a woman that was like my sister took me under her wing and she's a vocalist really amazing what was her name her name is joy joy, joy. yeah her name is joy mm. ellis joy Big ellis sis. shout yeah. out to joy ellis yeah joy ellis <laughs> she um and yeah i mean she was like an, a second mom an older sister a mentor a best friend a teacher all of those things like rolled into one and just taught me so much about life and i think one of the very first people whoever taught me how important it was to just accept myself mm. you know what i mean um, that how, was a, do, how do you think you, you learned that? Like, how did she teach you that? Because she accepted me even when I didn't. Mm. Um, I I didn't come out of the closet until I moved to New York. Mm. I moved to New York and came out. And I think that Joy always knew. Mm. I mean, she told me later on when I came out that she always knew. Um, and even while always knowing, and like I, she, you know, she's religious. We went to church together, and I was always that was my fear. I yeah. went to church every Sunday trying to pray the gay away. To be honest, that's what I was doing, mm-hmm. and um, I think like she knew that. I think I think a lot of people knew that. Um, but even when I was in a place where I, it was really really hard for me to accept myself, and I couldn't. I was at war with myself. Even through those times, mm. um, Joy loved me unconditionally and continued to teach me and, and guide me. And all those things are are huge, you know, and they were very, very big in, in helping me to leave that city mm. and to make the first like big choice I ever had to make for myself and move here. Mm. Um, we, don't, we don't have many people from my town that we can look to and say, oh, look at that really successful person that like survived this shitty place and got out i won't say it's always shitty i have a lot of love for my city oh, yeah. but yeah, when yeah. we're there when you live there no, it's we like all you have the shitty. right to say that you know yeah, it's like when we yeah, live there, you wouldn't accept somebody else saying nah, that but you, you would you can say that and yeah. it's kind of like the general while living there when you're there <laughs> yeah. we all say i can't wait to get out of Canton. Right, we right, all just right, say it like well, you it's that a that shitty right place right yeah once you survive <laughs> it like it 
yeah we just we, we say it while we're there but mm. i think that it's important like i decided not to change my my area code for my phone number mm. and i was like i noticed that yeah. some <laughs> things from home i have to hold on to and i didn't realize that until after i left the place i thought was so shitty for so long mm. um but back to what i was saying about like success stories right so we have just a few um two of them were macy gray and marilyn manson and now like trippy really? red trippy red from canton and wow. like people yeah. like ah um but for me back then that's who i had to look up to like okay so they what did they do um and they, i realized what it was what they did both of them they challenged everything challenged everything and learned to accept themselves yeah i never forget this one time macy gray pulled up at we were inducting like the new mayor you know like came to the came to the time you know he was he's was gonna being sworn in and this like big fancy affair and macy gray got up to sing a national anthem she was lit yeah <laughs> and she made the front page of the paper and wow. she did not give a damn yeah, yeah. she accepted herself mm. she was cool and like mm. she was fine and, and that's it and yeah. she got off the stage she kept it moving she kept the professional didn't yeah. care she's like i'm having a good time i don't know what y'all doing <laughs> right, <laughs> you know but right, like right, right. things like that and in Marilyn manson you know being from ohio in the midwest a mm. small town everyone was like oh devil worshiper all these horrible things you know that people thought about him and i remember just you know having this like thing in my head just like just without ever even like listening to his music um doing any homework on him Still. I disliked him yeah. just because I was conditioned mm. to feel that I should. Mm. Um, later on in life, I researched Marilyn and I admire him. Mm. I admire a lot of, I admire his work. Um, I admire his drive. I admire his transparency. I admire the fact that he survived the place that I know, you know, I know so well. Um, I admire the way that he continues to seed into artists younger than him. Mm. You know, like, when do you see an artist like Marilyn Manson take the hand of a hip hop artist like Lil Uzi and say, hey, like, I think what you're doing is great. And like, that's dope, you know? Like, it's. I think it's a really, really important time right now that artists who are super successful, um, that they seed into artists who are not as successful and who are trying to learn from them, mm. you know? I think having mentors is really, really important Definitely. to our generation. So I, I like that that's how Maryland moves. You like, can see that. Mm -hmm. You can see that. Yeah, definitely. So yeah. so for you, like coming to New York even, like prior to that, mm -hmm. like going to school, you know, were you singing in school or was it something you were sort of keeping to yourself or you didn't even know you wanted to sing? Oh, no, always. <laughs> I've always known that yeah. I wanted to sing. Yeah. Um, I never said this publicly before, but my nickname, my family's nickname for me is Bina Bell. Hey. Yeah, right. And it's, wow. Yeah. yeah. That's a dope nickname. Right. Well, listen, so this is why it's Bina Bell because... <laughs> When I was like three, yeah, like two, three years old, you know, like I, my, when I, my first words, I started singing. I always mm. sang, and I um, sang Jingle Bells <laughs> as a toddler, and but never could say Jingle. So I said Beena Bells, Beena Bells. <laughs> so that became my nickname. Yeah. So I've always yeah, yeah. sang. I will, and mm. I started writing when I was like six. Mm. I wrote my first song when I was like six years old. My mom still has it, like mm. has the paper and everything I wrote on. Wow. Um, what were you? What, do you remember what that song was about? Yeah, or? it was actually a diss. Okay. First song was a diss record. Let's hear it. My mom had I mean, a not, friend. You don't have to recite. I mean, just what was it about? <laughs> my mom had a friend. One of my mom's childhood friends. His name was Joe, and I always thought he had really stinky feet. Mm. So I didn't mm. want, didn't know how to tell him. So I wrote a song to tell him instead. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I'm not even gonna take this lightly, <laughs> yeah. but. 
that just shows you were drawing inspiration from real life I at was. a very early age. You know, that doesn't that's that's nothing to yeah. look over. <laughs> I was, yeah. I was and I and I started I kept writing songs, started mm. writing I wrote a song about um a friend of a friend. She um oh no, a friend a friend of one of my friends passed away mm. really young when we were in elementary school and I wrote a song about her passing and that was when I learned how empathetic that I was. Yeah. I didn't know, I, I was very emotionally intelligent, you know, I was really intelligent as a child and a lot of this, and, and highly sensitive, you know, mm. um, qualities that took me a very long time to appreciate about myself. I'd be so like, I yeah, don't know. In, in society, that's seen as weakness. Especially within the black community too. Mm. Um, mm. Like for me, like my family, my, my grandmother, you know, my family, my father's side, um, my grandmother's played a really big role in raising me. Mm. My grandmother and great-grandmother and great-great-grandmother passed away when I was like 11. Mm. Um, so between that, you know, you have these matriarchs, you know, black women raising me and like this family from all scattered all over the South. Um, it's like talking about mental health is not something that's common. Um, you know, if I was trying to, I, I remember so many times just trying to articulate that, that I was having a panic attack or an anxiety attack. I was trying to explain that, mm. but didn't know what it was. Didn't know how, you know, just trying to explain this, this tightening in my chest, I can't breathe in like, you're tripping, go sit down. Yeah. Or trying to articulate that I was depressed, right. you know, like any of those things right. was really, really hard to explain that to my family mm. um, back then and just frown upon. We're not really allowed to be, you know, to show any amount of like, distress or you know mm. we're supposed to always be ready yeah. ready for more strong holding everything together all the time any issue or problem supposed to easily roll off your back you know it's like yeah it's, and it's yeah. like it's not even a conscious decision it's more of just like we're subconsciously taught that i was being know? taught i think i was being groomed to be a future yeah. matriarch of my family mm. i think that's how my the family like raised me mm. i it's taken me a long time to like to navigate self-care and that's mm. because i think i was always taught and conditioned to put everybody's needs before my own as a black woman like and i was taught that by black women who were taught that by their mothers and by their mothers and by their mothers and so i think that that's something that for, for me i'm trying to unlearn i don't want to um i don't want to have children and and like my babies and you know feel that way feel that heavy i remember feeling like I didn't have much of a childhood. I remember feeling afraid to play because I was so serious mm. about everything else in life. Like wow. I remember at an early age. At a very early mm. age. I'm mm. telling you, I was so sensitive and empathetic. I took on everyone's problems and everyone's pain and and made it my responsibility to make it better. Yeah. Even as a child. And I'm still trying to like get out of those cycles now. Yeah, um yeah. but at least I know. You Absolutely. know, at least I know now. It's Absolutely. important. No, and that's powerful. I feel like even our conversation earlier, we were talking about that. It's like the fact that a lot of people our age or like in their 20s or early 30s or even their teen years, I feel like are beginning to address things, you know, and mm -hmm. I feel like that's really encouraging to see, even if it's like not having all the answers, just seeing people being willing to talk about, yeah, I'm struggling with this. Or, yeah. This is something that, you know, it's difficult for me to process. How are you doing with this? Mm -hmm. You know, it's like as small as that sounds it's actually really profound to see people actually especially within our culture sort of yeah. like opening up in that way you yeah know, it's, a, it's, a, it's definitely a huge step forward you know yeah i real. think it's a very radical thing mm. like like i was saying outside i think that we are 
we're right now we're in a time and we're a generation of unlearning mm. we're unlearning a lot of the ways that society has taught us to hate ourselves to um to not have any level of like faith or belief in ourselves mm. we're unlearning a lot of that and it's a very painful process yeah. it's yeah. very painful to yeah. detach from everything that we've always known mm. um but i think it's kind of like ripping off you know a band-aid you know if you peel a band-aid off real slow it's kind of annoying and stings mm -hmm. and it's long but if you just rip that shit off it hurts hard um and but all at once and i think that we're all like at that place right now yeah. unfortunately i think the band-aid is being ripped off for us in a lot of ways mm -hmm. and it's not even up to us to decide if we want to take it off or not <laughs> it's just being ripped off right, right, and so right. we're just sitting out here i feel that way sometimes sometimes mm -hmm. i feel like i don't know um sometimes i just feel like just so open to mm. like pain. I feel mm. like I'm just out here walking through New York City, mm. just like, you know, completely like sore and vulnerable and to, to all that this city has to throw at us. Yeah. And that's a really scary place to be in sometimes, but also like a very profound experience to have on yeah. a daily basis too. Yeah. And teaches you so much about humanity and mm. yourself. Um, as an empath, I find it really, really hard to live in the city sometimes. Like you're surrounded you. by human energy and people like even going in the train yes you're sort of like in in a, in a capsule of like human energy like there's mm -hmm. a bunch of people around you or you know so yeah i fully understand that yeah. yeah and i think especially in new york i think that people have become desensitized in ways that are very dangerous mm. i also think that we just we lack empathy as a whole mm. um and i take like take deep offense to that at times like yeah. i could be on the train and and see you know there could be like i don't know someone who gets on the train and is just an asshole you know could be like a rich asshole or someone who looks like a rich asshole you know on the train and like in a homeless person um on the train and the way that they're treated yeah that that affects me yeah. so much yeah. that like i take it on and like my my partner has to tell me all the time when i come home she's like you gotta let it go you gotta let this go there's just certain things that move me so much um that i i have a really hard time processing processing them and it it's really we just talked about this outside yeah you know yeah. how violent it is sometimes it feels like violence when i walk through soho there's no place like it like when i walk through <laughs> soho in new york that's a violent experience for me I walk through and I don't see us. Mm. I don't see us. I don't see like symbols of our success. You know, when I say us, I'm talking about black folks. I'm like, I don't, I don't see enough of us. Mm. I don't feel enough of us. I don't feel like connected mm. at all. If I feel like alone mm. and isolated mm. and, and it's, it's a horrible experience. Yeah. I actually like most of the time hate going to Soho for that exact reason. <laughs> like I hate seeing all the ads with like mostly white people you know and then like all this all the shops owned by you know wealthy white people um who don't sell anything affordable for our people you know but probably have like benefited off of our designs or our creativity our magic in some way um mm -hmm. and then even just letting it you know all settle in that like our people built this shit <laughs> everything mm -hmm. it's like mm. but we're not we're not here and, and i think that also wild. that also goes to show even in regards to what you said earlier about being an empath and being very empathetic um it's not just in regards to just feelings it's also understanding like the society we're living in and being like aware and highly sensitive to what's happening around us mm -hmm. you know which i think people don't even realize like that also applies there as well yeah and i feel like you know your ability to sort of articulate that is is, is powerful in and of itself because mm -hmm. you got to think a lot of times 
whether it's, you know, myself, you know, walking through certain neighborhoods in the city as a black man and sort of feeling as if like, wow, am I even welcome here in, into these spaces? You know, it's, it's, it's something to say. I think this is even powerful, even having this conversation out in the open, mm -hmm. because I think not even too long ago, we would feel these things, but they would just be in our minds, like yeah. in your brain, in my brain and, 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 you know, all of our separate brains. Mm -hmm. But now just the fact that we're talking about it getting because it out we all in the open. feel it we, we all, all feel, feel it, it together like, yeah well yeah. we just feel it in silence and right. that's the thing and i that's think it's a huge it, yeah. step that's it's, a huge step yeah. you know and agreed yeah so, so i'm really you know i'm actually very happy that you can even like like i was saying about james baldwin earlier as a writer he was so free in being able to say exactly like what the issue was mm -hmm. what's wrong how I'm feeling about what's wrong mm -hmm. and how I'm processing this. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, we're sort of all children of Baldwin in that way now in terms of being able to sort of say, this is wrong. Yeah. Or this doesn't feel right. Or this isn't necessarily, you know. So I feel like that's sort of like a powerful thing to see now you yeah. know, amongst our, our, our people, you know. Yeah, I think it's also like, it's a really important time for anybody who calls them, any, any like non-black person who calls themselves an ally to our community. Um, I also think it's a really important time like right now we're in Williamsburg and I, there are a million people we could walk down the street and ask like are you an ally and, they, and people would say yeah right but it's like I think it's really important that like our allies show up for us in ways that really really count sometimes it's just validating our experiences mm -hmm. like I had to have a conversation a tricky one um, with a friend about the way that I experienced something that she did mm -hmm. um, and I really appreciated you know the way that she handled it but it was like Basically, she did something. Um, she and she intended for it to, you know, be taken a certain way. But I experienced it a different way. Mm -hmm. And you can't tell someone that their experience isn't valid, mm -hmm. whether or not. Like there could be, you know, all, microaggressions happen all the time. Mm -hmm. I've had like uh, a white person uh, who I meet for the first time. My name is my name is Tangina. Okay, that's my name. Tangina Stone is my name. And I will meet a person for the first time and they'll say, it happens all the time. Do you have a nickname? Can I call you Gina? Can I call you Tangi? Those are those are actually my nicknames. Mm. But I've made it a point very recently, um, especially when I'm talking to a white person, especially in like a professional setting, to let them know that you call me Tangina. Mm. Unless I tell you that you can call me a nickname, you shouldn't be asking that. Mm. Christine, because your name's Christine, I'm gonna call you Christine, right? Mm. Or, or Laura, or whatever your name is, I'm gonna call you your name that you tell me, mm. you know, is your name. Um, and I think it's something, you know, one of the first things when we think about like our ancestors coming over from Africa, what were they stripped of? Their what, names. Their names. And so for me, when someone doesn't give me that like very basic level of respect um i'm not really like feeling you i'm not feeling <laughs> this situation and i'm also like not gonna let it rock mm, um mm. and so but a thing like that can happen right and i can tell someone i can explain that like i don't like this and it made me feel this way um and then like the person who did it right can say that was not what i you know i didn't mean for it to happen it's, it's a microaggression that you know sometimes i think that people who who do these things are not even aware you know they're not aware just just conditioned to talk to who, whatever like black person you're talking to and uh conditioned to just like ah you, you got a nickname like it's like mm. it's just a not even a thought, a thought yeah. and that's kind of crazy mm. um because it's very offensive i mm. find it very very offensive mm. call me by my name the mm. name that i tell you i want to be called by um so yeah in situations like that i think it's very important for anyone who's an ally to know that like our experiences have to be validated mm. what i experienced was 
violence and it was triggering for me when some when when this person you know wanted to give me a nickname that i didn't <laughs> okay um but her experience was different you know so she so at first it was like oh that's not how i meant it i just needed her to let i just need need to let her know that i needed her to validate what i was feeling in that moment um so yeah things like that happen all the time and i think like in brooklyn there are things i love about living in brooklyn but then there are things like that you know that happen really often too um and it's kind of disheartening i remember the initial reason i wanted to move into brooklyn was i went to the african burial grounds you know mm -hmm. in tribeca mm -hmm. you, you mm -hmm. know about that of yes course, went of to course. the african burial grounds and there is like a there's a specific part of one of the exhibits where they have like all the symbols you know mm -hmm. symbolism um symbols that many of the slaves used to mark certain areas in the city when they would build um and so i started like realizing that i i saw a lot of those symbols of photographic memory I'm like, i saw i've seen a lot of these symbols all over brooklyn yeah one of them that you see a lot is like the sankofa symbol mm. you see it in architecture all over brooklyn and like that symbol was was placed in specific places to remind us of where we've come from mm. you know you have to know where you come from to get where you're going wow. the whole like you know sankofa means yeah and i would and encourage so, anyone who's listening to sort of google it if you're yeah. on your computer or whatever your phone and see see what you're talking about for sure. right yeah so that to me was really beautiful and why i connected with brooklyn in the first place mm. it was like i got here i remember the first like short period of time when i got to new york i started school and didn't have a place yet so i was in harlem and then i came to brooklyn and i just fell in love and i and i felt like this is where i'm supposed to be mm. you know this is where this is where like my people are this is and especially in bed style like, yeah. wow <laughs> so it's like it's interesting you know mm. i i'm seeing I look, I walk up and down Best I live in a brownstone and I still see Sankofas and just all the symbolism all mm. the time reminding me that like our people built this mm. for us to, to be here. Mm. And and then you see like, you see gentrifiers come through that move in and like don't care, you know? They'll even like remodel and like get rid of some shit that's really important. Mm. And it's like, it's just a wild experience. So I feel like sometimes I have to protect myself mm -hmm. from what feels from what i perceive as violence from what feels violent to me mm -hmm. and what i feel what i experience as violence it's not always you know meant as violence i guess or or people are not aware that it's violent to me um but doesn't make it any less valid and that's the thing it's like i can talk to a person who's done something that's really offensive and harmful to me and they can say that was not their intention at all but it doesn't mean that it, it didn't happen mm, yeah. <laughs> so that's yeah the battle all the time yeah but yeah. I, I just want to say like i'm really enjoying this conversation because like it's just a perfect example of how like intentional you are you know as an artist because the the person you are just you know hanging out talking i feel like you you're the same person as a musician as, as an artist you know and Thank i feel you. like you your principles and the things that you stand on are very evident in your music as well um so i, I definitely respect that and i feel like it's 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 refreshing to to see you know i really appreciate that about you and your work thank you um so yeah i mean you know most recently you know uh the the most recent full-length project that you released elevate um you know that was uh, 2017 right yeah yeah can you talk about that a little bit just that process of creating it and sort of what you know that intentionality was for you mm -hmm. mm. absolutely um yeah so um the album was called elevate because of the concept uh full well, concept that was created in my head and like my team's heads mm. <laughs> um elevation requires separation 
Yeah. And what I was what thinking, does that mean? Elevation requires separation. Yeah, I so I was thinking, break that down. Yeah, I like that. I like yeah. that. <laughs> so I was thinking a lot about um, what I needed to separate myself from or just release, you know, in a cathartic way to elevate, to grow, to, you know, move into another phase of my career, my life, my my being. Um, and so on that album, I talk about a lot of things. I talk about, I mean, from the very beginning of the project that the introduction, Confidence, um, was all about my insecurities, was all about my struggle in New York. That was a free, that song was actually a freestyle, the introduction. Wow. Um, and I wrote it, I mean, I, I, I whatever, wrote it, freestyled it, just thinking about my experiences um, here in New York and how, you know, like I, I said earlier, we are told a lot of lies told not to believe in ourselves told that we we don't mean anything told that we're not good enough our art's not good enough nothing that we do is good enough um and so i wrote about that how that made me feel um and how i wanted to combat those feelings Mm. um i talk about my mental health a lot on the album whether it's like it might even kiss me for even delves into a bit of like a dark time in, in a relationship that i was in um Every song is just like kind of riddled with real life experiences, you know, Mm. Um, anxious, obviously. Yeah, I'm talking about my mental health, addressing that. And that that song, when I wrote that and released it, it was the first time that I ever talked about my mental health Mm. openly. Mm. And I was at a time I was I was living in a time where it felt like I had to do something, you know, about how I was feeling. I had to acknowledge that what I was dealing with was real. After I wrote that song and released it, I started going to therapy. But for my whole life, I always I was was denied that I didn't get to go to therapy. Right. Um, and so yeah, I I wrote that song and released it, and it was important for me to acknowledge it as real and to mm. never pretend that it wasn't real again, mm. and to not be ashamed because for my whole life I've been very ashamed of my mental health. That's the that's the deep that's the shit that really will have you messed up. Like the shame. That's the shame. <laughs> the shame that you feel, um, especially being a black person. Like you, we feel ashamed. We don't want to we come off as we i don't know i don't want to say weak because it's really just how we perceive yeah, it it's like we, we want to be perceived as a strong, strong all, all the time, the time. <laughs> all the time exactly and yeah. so we perceive mental illness as weakness we perceive like vulnerability as weakness at times right mm-hmm. like that can, at least i i won't say we i i've done that i've perceived right, it that way right. i think a lot of us have yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. i perceived it that way um and so even that i that extended to myself as well mm-hmm. i perceived my own like mental illness as weakness yeah. and one that i should not expose to people um one that i just had to work through and keep to myself and so finally you know anxious was a breaking point mm. when it was like i can't do that anymore and i, I just need to scream about it and get it out talk yes. about it and so i wrote that song um i there's a song on the album called matter that's mm. really important and it just barely made the album i, I mean time wise um I wrote that song after going to the Women's March in DC when Trump got elected into office. I wrote that song right after and my album was already due for in, J- in Japan. It was due for release in Japan. Yeah. Had to slide that song in there really quick because <laughs> um, it was really important to me. I went to that march and I almost didn't go to the march because I, it was again the question, is this for me? Is this for me? A queer black woman, is this march for me? Um, I wasn't sure about that. Am I actually even invited to this party? Mm. Or is this party for cisgendered, 
you know, white women that are angry and want to wear like pink pussy hats. Like, is this for me or is this just for them? I didn't know. Um, and I finally went when I found out Angela Davis was going. That's what made me feel like encouraged <laughs> to be there. And she's going to play a real like role in the march. Mm. Um, but still, when I left and came back to New York, I was angry and I was discouraged and yeah. I was sad. And I felt that I had just experienced a lot of violence. Mm. And so I wrote Matter. And I wrote Matter to remind myself and to remind anyone who's a part of any marginalized group in America and all over the world that we matter. Mm. And so that's why I wrote it. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, this is this is really just also a testament just to how, like, it seems like it's a theme of you sort of just drawing from life experience and inspiration and, like, pouring that into your music. Yeah. I mean, I mean even from your your uncle's feet mm -hmm. you know it was, it was your uncle right yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. he's like my uncle yeah yeah <laughs> you know i think even starting from there and just sort of like you know grasping and understanding you know with empathy like what you're feeling mm -hmm. and then being able to translate that into music that we can all then you know digest and yeah. understand i think that's really important because that's a gift you mm -hmm. know to be able to translate your emotions and feelings in a way that people can connect and be in tune with mm -hmm. um so the fact that you're using that gift to sort of help people and help yourself as well as therapy you know is, is definitely something that's, that's powerful to see thank you, know? you. Definitely. I, I think it was really important for my my debut album especially to talk about those things there are lots of things like my new music's coming out this year talking about some other shit mm -hmm. <laughs> but that you can talk about that yeah yeah <laughs> but um but it was really important to start it off that way to like introduce myself that way and i still feel very very um strong um strongly about all the things that i talked about on the album yeah. um i still feel you know like nothing has changed as far as how i feel who i am right um right i just yeah i felt like it was really important to introduce myself that way mm. and also even you know on the album i really wanted to challenge genres a lot because mm. people ask that question a lot it's like often the first question i get in interviews like so what's your genre how mm. do you categorize yourself and i don't really categorize me people do and like I'm all, I'm all right with it sometimes. Like I'm all right with my grandma might hear a song and she might hear some Motown influence. My mother might hear a song and hear Stevie Nicks. You know, depend like people hear it and, and hear different things. Um, and I'm I'm usually open to that, right? Yeah. I don't like when I'm boxed in. I don't like when people categorize me for the sake of keeping me confined. A convenience for them. Yeah. Exactly. Mm -hmm. I think that um, in music, you know. Um, often black artists especially black women we they only allow a few of us or one of us to be on the top at one time right like whatever the top means um mm. and so we're often just thrown into r&b right yeah. that's what we are like i i've even i've played a whole like rock and roll set and still been like uh r&b you right, know like and right, it's not right, right, right. and i just feel <laughs> like i don't know it's time for us to take up space everywhere and so I have like quite a few different projects coming out and I think that like people are going to hear these these projects these songs and they're they're going to hear things from me that they've never heard but that have always existed within me. Definitely. Um yeah, always existed within me. I've never I've never been just one genre. Mm. I I draw experience. I, I draw influence from so many different mm. kinds of music. Yeah. From rock and roll, electronic, or definitely R&B is high up there. Yeah. Um but yeah, it's like I I'm, I'm so many things. I could write you a country song. I could write you an R&B song. I could write you. I could write you a hit your verse. I could write your rap verse. I could write right. anything, yeah. literally. Yeah. Um, and I think I'm just like arriving, you know, at a point in my career and in my life and in my being in which I fully know all of that. Yeah. 
It's like, I can do all of it. And so I'm going to. That's being yeah. sure of yourself. Yeah. You know, that's what at. being like, like James Baldwin, being sure of himself. You know, I feel like Absolutely. that's we're just carrying along in that legacy. Exactly. You know? Like it's time. And yeah. I feel in so many ways, I feel like we are robbed of that because we're like taught to be unsure. Mm-hmm. You know, I um, a friend of mine has this entire um, poetry piece that she she put on like a show for a couple years back and it was amazing amazing her name is um her name is Brittany Brittany Canes right and she's she's so talented um and she her piece revolved around this this theory this idea that she studied um and it was about like this demonstration this guy he used to invite people to come into this space and he'd tell them to stand up straight and no one could he kept inviting people come in and um no one could stand up straight in this room And he didn't tell anyone that everything in the room was crooked. The floor was crooked, the table was crooked, the chairs were crooked, everything was crooked. So naturally, when you'd come into this room, you'd be off balance. Mm. And my friend's piece revolved around the idea that every day, black women are expected to stand up straight in a crooked room. That every room that we walk into is crooked and we're still expected to stand up straight. And that's that's what life feels like. all the time i think you just like hit us with a real truth bomb at the end <laughs> that was powerful that was powerful and i feel like just even that short story i feel like resonates you know and i want to acknowledge that you know and, you. and even me as like a, as a guy you yeah. know i want to acknowledge that you know with, with the energy that i have yeah um and i feel like yeah it's 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 appreciated and respected just to see how you sort of have been able to translate all of these feelings emotions thoughts um, in a way that it's not just your music, it's your being, you know, it's who you are. So, Thank so you. I Thank really you. respect what you're doing. Definitely. You. So, so I'm not, even, yeah, I'm not even <laughs> going to like hold you to like a date or saying when you're going to release things, but like, <laughs> where can people find the things you're going to release when they, you release them? When they're, when the new things are released, you can find them everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, everything's going to be available like worldwide on all platforms. Good. Um, yeah, I mean, do you want me to tell you about the new stuff I'm working Please, on? Please, yeah, yeah, what you can, whatever you yeah, can tell I t- yeah. Oh, good, um, good, good. I can <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I have, uh, I have a collaborative EP project coming out with, you know, Phony People. Of course. Yeah, so LB3 and I, we have something brewing. Hey, nice, yeah, nice, nice. We, we've, been, we've got something we've been working on for a while. I have um, a, I have my own, I'm doing my own, another album. Um, I have a project with Nitty Scott coming out as well and then i have um a an ep coming out with denisha she actually produced my song my last single fanta so we have some more joints coming out and actually people are going to hear for the first time some of the music that i have written produced engineered everything all Mm. on my own so people are going to hear that for the first time and what that sounds like looks like (laughs) all that shit um a lot of my new stuff some of the new songs that i have coming out it's interesting it's like I have a single that'll be coming out called mm-hmm. More, and More is written about autonomy. It's mm-hmm. actually about, um, it was inspired by women and our autonomy and that the fact that we deserve autonomy and that it's not something that has to be granted by anyone, mm-hmm. that we, we come with it, it's, mm-hmm. it's ours, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, That's a fact. Yeah, and so I, I wrote this song. It's interesting because for a very long time in my career, I would never talk about sex at all. Mm. I wouldn't even talk. I wouldn't even. I wouldn't even give a gender to a love interest in a song. It took a long time to do that. Mm. Um, but I'm at a place right now where I feel 
that it's, it's super super important for me to be like liberated in that way yeah. not like i just yeah. want to talk about my sex life on song i mean if i want to i want to but it's not even about that it's more about having the freedom and and, and just like not being afraid mm. to be open like lots of people you know write songs about their boyfriends and, and their lives and it's like i want to be just as free to do mm. that um in my way and more is also about women want like women who deserve more i think i want to do that i'm going to do this whole campaign and talk about it um but just what what women want more of and deserve more of in life that's really what the song's about and it's it's fire Can't i'm looking forward to, it to it. i'm looking forward to everything honestly <laughs> yeah. i feel like yeah just from this conversation and talking earlier i'm just like really really in tune with what what you're you're bringing so thank you thank again you. i really appreciate everything that you shared it was just a short period of time but i feel like you packed in so much good truth thank in there you, so thank you so much thank you i for appreciate me. that absolutely you know yeah. i feel like we've done this before you know it's like this yeah. is very like like we should we definitely <laughs> should do this again sometime so yeah. yeah once again um i'm taj alexander with my friend hey tangina stone and we're out thank you we're out. to find out more about the open canvas hit up our website theopencanvas.com also stay tuned to our instagram at the open canvas and for any questions or inquiries hit up my email, taj, T-A-J, dot opencanvas at gmail.com. This has been The Open Canvas, produced by Taj Alexander.